0: I tried to be a flop. I tried to be a
2: sleigh. This is Flop Culture. Welcome back to Flop Culture, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops, but we also talk about bops, we also talk about hot goss, everything in between. I'm your host, Fanula J. delighted to have you with me. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Louise Bruton on I Know Who Killed Me. Very appropriate coming up to Halloween, spooky season, I think you'll agree. If you haven't listened, go check it out. We're going significantly less spooky this week, I suppose, depending on who you ask. Uh, but before we talk flops, let's talk news, shall we? Maya Jama is the new host of Love Island, which we all already knew, didn't we? Essentially, good for her, good choice. Uh, I do wonder if it's going to affect her contract with Glow Up, which is the makeup makeover show on BBC Three that is really, really good if you have never watched. Cannot recommend enough. Some of the seasons are on Netflix as well. Uh, She replaced outgoing host Laura Whitmore. They exchanged pleasantries on Instagram. Laura said she's going to be really good. Uh, We obviously have winter Love Island coming up, uh, set in South Africa this January, and then the normal summer season business as usual. I think she'll bring a lot of that good glow-up experience to Love Island. She's very sweet with the glow-up contestants, very... Tender in a way that I think would be really beneficial for a show like this, where the contestants need to be especially protected because they just are so front and centre and so open to scrutiny. Um, I'm not... In terms of her... Like, for this to really work for me, and again, this is just my opinion, which ultimately counts for diddly squat. For the whole series and for... The host more than anything else, I think they need to pull back on trying to make it nearly a comedy. Like let Ian Sterling, the narrator, do that. Let the editors do that. Let the contestants do that. Because it's not funny when you're trying like really, really hard. And that's not to say that I don't actually think Maya Jama is funny. I think she's very naturally charismatic in a way that humour isn't laboured. If she is funny, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's not her... You know, rigorously trying to set up a joke. Here's the lead up, here's the punchline, et etc., cetera, et cetera, which was what I feel like they were really leaning on heavily with Laura, which didn't translate. That's why it felt, I think, kind of st- stilted as it did, especially with um After Sun. I kind of think After Sun needs to be overhauled altogether. I'm not entirely sure how, because I like the individual. Parts of it, obviously, like I think when a panel is good, it works really well. Like we saw how good Joanna McNally was on close to the final this year. If you watched and and sometimes they get the mix right with other people where they have like good opinions and like the banter or whatever. Sometimes they don't work though. And then the behind the scenes stuff, sometimes that's interesting. And then but when they set it up as a comedy bitch, like it's not and it loses me. And then also sometimes the behind the scenes stuff just isn't interesting. I don't care about Becky Hill going into the villa and like, great that she loves it. Great that she loves the show. Great that she's like, this is the best experience of my life. That kind of means nothing to me and has no importance for me as a viewer, to be totally honest. I love the sneak peeks, the actual interviews with past contestants, family members, yada, yada, yada. Maybe the format as it stands just needs Maya to inject a little bit of oomph into it. And then the format will be better. I'm not sure. What do you think? How could After Sun be better? How can Love Island improve for you? Get in touch with FlopCulture underscore pod on social media and obviously on email, helloflopculture at gmail.com. I I don't know. If they do overall After Sun, does that mean she'll be in the actual show more? How will that look? Time will tell. I'm going to be honest, I am dreading this winter season. I'm just not looking forward to it. Uh, It barely worked the last time. If you're going to give us something like this, and more Love Island, then give us all stars. That's, I have, ugh. I don't want to say I have no interest in it because obviously I'm going to watch, but there is just a part of me that's like, this is too much. This is way too much. But we'll see. Angela Lansbury passed away this week, award-winning Murder, She Wrote star, five days away from her 97th birthday, enjoyed a hugely successful 80-year acting career, receiving an Honorary Academy Award, six Tony Awards, six Golden Globes, one Olivier Award, was nominated for 18 Emmys in total. What a stacked trophy cabinet. Um, Best known, as I already mentioned, for Murder, She Wrote. Other people will know her from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Gaslight, the Manchurian Candidate, so many other things I could list. Very close ties to Ireland. She actually moved uh, her family here uh, when her daughter was, I didn't know this, getting involved with Charles Manson and his crew of terrible people. At that point, uh, Angela's daughter and her son were uh, drug users and were kind of going down this path and she, the daughter, was getting very involved with Manson and was just like fascinated by him and this following that he'd built up for himself and Angela was like, what do we do? What the hell do we do? Bring them to Cork. Cork is the solution to everything. Up sticks, moved them across the Atlantic to Count Cork in Ireland, uh, where she called home for many a year and has many family ties there. And she loved Barry's tea, the correct tea to love. Don't at me. I'm right. And so was she. Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. Very, very sad news this week. And then finally, I don't even, this doesn't really qualify as news. It kind of does, I suppose. We got a trailer for Megan, and I desperately want to talk about it. Megan, me three if you will. Uh, this is a new horror coming out uh, next year, 2023. Here's my synopsis from watching the trailer and I will leave the trailer in the show notes because I'm, I need you to watch this and we all need to enjoy it together. But here's my very brief synopsis of Megan. There's a girl, the girl's family dies in a car crash, RIP, that's obviously bad. She is taken in by some other child hating guardian uh, who is like, what do I do with you? I have my own life to live and dinner reservations. I can't be entertaining you. Put on bluey or whatever sort yourself out but then luckily she's like oh my god I'm a woman in stem I have the solution for this here's an android friend which is essentially a yassified chucky here you go little girl go forth Make friends, make friends with the definitely not evil robot who's not going to kill you. Here's your Android girly pop who can do the renegade with you. Make all the TikToks you want and definitely doesn't want to kill me or your friends. Don't worry about it. Also, I've never seen a robot. What could possibly go wrong? The doll has the worst wig I've ever seen in my entire life. All that technology and you can't get poor Megs a good like lace front wig. Where was the budget here? Where was the budget? No wonder she's feral. I'd be feral if my hair looked like that to be honest. At one point she runs on all fours after some boy who's a dickhead to the real life girl who she's protecting. You just need to watch it. It's at one point the the Android is like full body rolling. Maybe close to the time we can do like a flat culture screening where we all go together and see this because it just looks... It looks so good. Other headlines I saw this week that made me want to die. Um, pierced oaks prove she's making new rules for fall fashion. Incinerate that. Incinerate that headline. Incinerate pierced ogs. What does that even mean? Don't want to know. Don't explain. And then also, this just made me feel old because I have no idea who this person is. Why Johnny Bananas was finally ready to return to the challenge. Good for you, Johnny Bananas. I'm glad you're ready and up for the quite literal challenge of the TV show The Challenge. Anyway, think it's time to talk flops. On Flop Culture this week, my guest is defending a much maligned pop album from one of the all-time greats. Without this album, we would not have the pop culture kiss that sends shockwaves across the globe or the disco and dance revival of the mid noughties While retrospective reviews have been kinder, initial reviews of this record were mixed to say the least with one reviewer calling it frequently self-indulgent misguided unpleasant difficult to listen to silly and humorless but also consistent uncompromising and unapologetic which is also what people say about this podcast pop culture journalist and broadcaster jane gannon joins me now to talk about her majesty herself madonna and her ninth studio album american life Jen Gannon, thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture. Thank you.
1: Excited to be here. Tell the people what you picked. I well, I mean, I had two in my mind, but I am first and foremost, I mean, I'm I'm a Madonna gal and I I always think about when people think about, you know, flops or Stuff that's down the dumper, they always mention the American Life album by Madonna. And I am here to say, absolutely not, girl. (laughs) Is that a, a recent revelation for you,
2: or have you always been fighting the good fight when it comes to American Life by Madonna?
1: I've always loved it. From minute one, from day one, from this very moment, second I ever heard the first note of American Life, I was like, I'm all in on this for sure.
2: I had actually never listened to it all the way through. And when you'd said it, I knew of the album kind of within pop culture, just as you said, you know, when you talk about flops, it it was a name that always came up. And then when you suggested I was like, this is going to be really interesting to listen to all the way through because I never did, whatever. And then I realized I was actually kind of more familiar with it than I thought. Like I knew American life and I obviously knew Hollywood, like I knew the singles, um, mm-hmm. but a very interesting album not what I was expecting at all I'm kind of glad I went in blind to it can you talk to me a little bit about where Madonna was in terms of her, her career because we're, I was just saying off air Madonna as much as I adore pop music I'd be the first to put my hands up Madonna is like a black spot for me in terms of pop culture and learning which is why I'm doing this podcast because I want to learn these things like I'd be most familiar in terms of eras with her it's like Confessions on a Dance Floor and Hard Candy sure. so where, did, where does American life fall in the Madonna, Queen of Pop journey?
1: Well, I mean, she was having a, a big time renaissance. Like she was on the up and up as in like post erotica when she came back with Ray of Light in 1998 and she worked for William Orbit. It was just sensational. It was like a rebirth. Everyone was like, oh my God, Madonna has done something like completely out of the bag. And she was like, you know, it's a drugs album without taking drugs. Hint, hint. And everybody was just in love with Madonna. And then when music came out in 2000. It was like riding right the crest of the wave from like Ray of Light because Ray of Light was so uh, critical, smash it. And she became like this, you know, darling of the music scene and and really embraced by like people that had never listened to Madonna album before. They were like, my God, she's actually writing her own songs. And I didn't know she was like this. She was a genius. And then music was like the, the extra level of that because you had Ali G in the video for music and she was embracing like, British culture because she'd started going out with Guy Ritchie and uh, everybody loved her everybody was mad about her at that time it was maximum Madonna like I mean she mentioned pop bitch she did this secret gig um, for the launch of music um in I think it was in Shepherds Bush Empire uh, correct me if I'm wrong Madge fans because they will and um you <laughs> mentioned like pop bitch and the crowd went wild because it was really like god she knows stuff about like you know what's going on in in the world at the moment she's not this removed because you know because she was such a megastar she could feel so removed and then Snatch was released Guy Ritchie's film and they both wore t-shirts to the premiere of it and uh, she had, oh no, he wore a t shirt that, like, was, like, you know, a music t shirt, a, a small girl's t shirt, and she wore, like, a Snatch t shirt and had Coming Soon written on it. And then she had, like, this full-on suit at the premiere for Snatch, and I had Mrs. Richie on the back of it. So it was very much like she was becoming, like, the, the Mrs., like, her endurance and, and very, like, anglicized. And then when American Life came out in 2003, things had changed. She had full-scale moved to the UK, so America hated her anyway at that point. Then when the single came out, it was like, whoa, why are you talking about war? And Why are you wearing a beret and looking like Shea Guevara on the front of this album? Like, it was a ultra patriotic time for America because it was post 9-11 it was the Afghan war and I think if you were any way not towing the party line about like America the beautiful and fabulous you were anti everything like you, you have to realize at that time in America things were wild like as in there was like people from, like, the CW, that channel, like, that show stuff, like, well, later on it would show Gossip Girl, but it's like, stuff like, you know, Gilmore Girls and stuff, and, like, other channels that, like, CBS or NBC, where Fraser was on, that they made them do these infomercials about how great America was, like, just before the war kicked off in Afghanistan and just after 9-11, they were just like, America is amazing, rah, rah, rah. And then when American Life came out, and it, you know, just... The last thing that Americans especially had heard from Madonna was her cover version of American Pie. And it was so, that's such a fable of Americana. And to go from that with her kind of wrapping an American flag around herself in the video, um, to, uh, wearing a tiara to then appearing, reappearing with this beret on and this very militant military feeling and very, they thought an anti-American flex. It just went down like a fart in a spacesuit. for sure for sure Um,
2: you've touched on the themes because sonically and thematically this is an interesting album and he said a massive departure for her can we talk about the pop landscape of the time because when you look at that year in terms of the other pop albums because she'd been kind of the trailblazer for pop Mm. at that time but in terms of that year you had body language from Kylie try this from pink which is her third album which blows my mind Britney was in her in the zone era Beyonce's debut album Blondie was doing bits Annie Lennox Dido Nelly Furtado how sonically did this contrast to what even beyond like what we knew Madonna for how different was this in terms of the kind of mainstream charts and the pop landscape as we knew it then it's so different. It's very,
1: it's quite a dark album. It's quite an introspective album. And I think that is a problem in general that um the public, you know, at large have with Madonna. Because on one hand, right, they were so supportive of her for of Light. And they were saying, look at her challenging stuff and, and being different and, you know, being an, a, a proper quote unquote artiste and you know not just being an anodyne pop girl and then when she swerves again and does something like this which is extremely probably one of the most introspective Madonna albums ever they're like ew we don't want this from you just shut up and dance on stage and you know make silly pop songs we don't want to hear you know anything about a woman being angry and I think Men do not do well. Straight men do not do well. And sometimes female listeners do not respond well to a woman being angry. And I think the, the sound of American life is like a mix of lo-fi kind of dance beats, but also acoustic stuff as well, because she was learning to play the guitar. Um, and she's still learning to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> None God, of the dryer, oh, God, God of the trier, Madge. God on the prayer keep doing those bar chords babes um but like so I think you know she worked with Mirway and Mirway did some of the music album with her and I actually think when it comes to Madonna she works best when she works with a single producer uh, because the album will then have a singular vision rather than being kind of all over the place and I found her most recent albums because you're employing 14 different producers 20 Different parts of songs that they're each writing certain parts of songs. It's too fragmented and it doesn't have the same impact. So I think with Mirway, he wanted to, the the two of them kind of connected about this idea of making it kind of like massive attack because she always adores massive attack and she signed them to Maverick records. She was a mad fan for them and she did, you know, I want you the cover version of the Marvin Gaye song with them. And it was totally beautiful. So she wanted it to be kind of like adults pop but downbeat dance Uh, so that was the vibe she was going for that and she was really into lemon jelly at the time she was saying which was weird Um, but you know so it wasn't of the era it wasn't like good times because when you think about it Beyonce was coming out with like crazy in love I think around that time so I mean it was completely different to anything like that and you know with Kylie Kylie was moving into like body language was such a moment for Kylie but it was very I don't know, a bit R&B b flavored for Carly, which was weird. And it, it was a kind of bid to move further into the American market. Whereas Madonna was moving out of that. And I don't know where she was going. You know, she was trying to forge her own path and nobody liked that. <laughs> it's you've obviously picked this and I know
2: this occupies like a, a very sweet space in your heart and as someone who's revisiting this fully for the first time I found or like visiting it for for the first time I should say I found the first half like quite difficult bar maybe like Hollywood really liked I'm so stupid and then the latter half it's I loved it it was really like as you said there's that anger there like very palpable sadness I found her vocals really sweet and like Mm. some of it sounds nearly like it wouldn't be a miss on a national record you know what I mean that's how like folksy it was and then the product then the production on other bits it's like so jarring sometimes in a good way sometimes not some of the stuff I feel like has aged well like it's almost like it was so ahead of its time that it wouldn't sound a miss now on the charts and then there's other things like we have to talk about American Life as a single I don't, I, want, love
1: I don't love, okay, why do you love it? Okay, now, what I always say about this is people do not understand that, I mean, first of all, I always say, if I had to do the Rosa Tralee and I was called upon to do a little, Party piece. I, I can only do the rap from American Life and the rap from Kylie's Shocked. They're the only things I know. And like, also, if I was at a wedding after, that's the only thing. Everybody would be in the bar singing rebel songs, and I'd be like, uh, Can I do American Life? <laughs> <laughs> up there I'm ready but the thing about it is that a lot of people I don't think understood or understand about that is like she's taking the piss she's taking the piss a, out of herself in a way because you know she's just like oh I have all this shit and she's also taking the, the piss out of hip hop artists like at that time of that era like 50 Cent and P Diddy, who were like boasting about how materialistic they are and how they love having all their chains and the bitches, and she was just like, "Well, why? When I say it, why am I taken to task as being like, you know, a, a complete shrew who's obsessed with their wealth? when well, I'm trying to highlight the fact that the whole." point of the song is about the fact that you can have all this shit and you're not actually satisfied it's not about material things like she was branded the material girl mistakenly because of the song and she was always trying to shake that from that concept that image from people's minds because she's like it's not about that I'm post of Light, everyone should know I'm on a different route. I'm on a spiritual kind of route. And I'm trying to tell you that these things will never make you happy. But she's also taking a piss out of herself because she's, she's like, I have these things. I'm I am boasting. And I'm boasting in that traditional sense of these, like, you know, macho hip hop artists. And I want to be one of the boys. And people just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And I was like, they never get Madonna when she's trying to be funny, when she's trying to be arch or wry. They always take her at face value. And I love it. I just think it's such a ridiculous song. Um, But I also just like how angry it is and how fierce it is. Like the lyrics where it's just like I've tried to be a boy I've tried to be a girl I've tried to do everything that you bastards want me to do and you're not fucking happy so I'm just going to you know be myself and like you'll never you'll never pigeonhole me I'll never be what you want I'll always defy your expectations and it's a great mission statement for that album because she's like I'm not going to be an Anna Dyan jukebox that will repeat the same tricks over and over again you know I I'm going to be something so different and I think it's like guns ablaze and she's like yeah you're either with me or you're not and that's a great statement
2: blender magazine named it the ninth worst song of all time
1: yeah men are I, stupid like, <laughs> I'm sorry. like straight straight men are so dumb when it comes to madonna i have seen straight men show their full arses about madonna so many times that sometimes i just her, uh, leave her and sometimes I jump on Twitter and I'm like, you dope. Because like, even an Irish Times journalist got, the age, like a, a, a journalist, a music journalist, got the age that she was when her mother died wrong. And she literally says it in Mother and Father. You know, imagine getting that basic info wrong about Bob Dylan. It just wouldn't happen. Like, they would be strung up. And you just have to accept these things as a Madonna fan, like people not knowing anything and they love straight men just adore weighing in about her like I saw a guy on Twitter saying you know what has been like one of the worst like songs on someone that went from something great to something shit and like these two straight guys were having a conversation going yeah she was a am- Madonna was amazing on life. and then ew American life and I was like a lads she had music in between that and b you don't even know what American life is and they were like oh she did a rap on it and I'm like mm. Yes. I have, Do I have two hours to talk to you? About? but like, <laughs> What I'm saying is, imagine a woman barging in on Twitter going, God, when Bob Dylan went all weird and religious, that was a joke, wasn't it? Like, she would have 90 saddos attacking her immediately. And you just have to accept this when you're a pop fan. So as a Madonna fan, you kind of build up this certain kind of armor towards like the indie publications, the, uh, those kind of guys. And, you know, also the broadsheets, well, not the broadsheets, but also the tabloids because both of them weirdly are on the same page. They just really don't get her.
2: Well, I was going to ask, with the Blender giving the song that chart position, and you don't agree with it, clearly. What do you mm. think is the ninth worst song of all
1: time? Oh, I don't know. Probably like the fucking, I thought i like squaring like a trooper. Um, Black Eyed Peas. I got a, yeah, Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling. That's a fair swap, I think. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
2: Um, We talked about American Life, Hollywood as well as the second single. I'm just going through the track list here. I'm so stupid, love profusion, nobody knows me, nothing fails, intervention, ecstatic process, mother and father, you mentioned, die another day, um, which we'll get to in a a second, easy ride. Hollywood, what was the reaction there? Because American Life came out, obviously, and then people hated that because it was so different Mm. and for all the other reasons you said. Hollywood was kind of more straight in the middle, not so straight in the
1: middle, pop, Madonna being Madonna. What was the reaction like? she got into so much trouble because uh, the video is a great video but um, they were sued, she was sued because it was uh, Guy Bourdain or Guy Bourdain the artist, the, the, like his photography, certain kinds of photography by him from a certain era it's exactly the same as that and uh, obviously she didn't credit that or say anything about it and it was just a direct lift um, so there was a lawsuit about it so that that in itself had its own controversy because Guy Bourdain or Guy Bourdain I don't know he's French what way do they say it? they always say it like Guy don't they a bit of <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm
2: just taking it as Guy whatever I'm taking it as Guy
1: Madonna loves a bit of Guy come on Um so his his son sued them. So, I mean, it was not... This whole album was just mired in controversy because before that, like, the American Life video that Jonas Ackerman done uh, did for her was banned. Like, well, actually, she pulled it because she was like, there was a lot of imagery in it of, you know, soldiers being killed and, uh, you know, people fighting a war. And she was like, well, there's a literal war going on right now in Afghanistan and I better not do that. So, you know, even when she was trying to be less politicized in the second single, Hollywood, even though it was talking about the, I think like the themes of this album are so prescient right now because, you know, Hollywood was talking about, you know, how fake everything is and how self-absorbed people are getting. um, And they only care about the image. And like it kind of just preempted everybody being obsessed with selfies and Instagram, but uh, she couldn't move away from controversy because that was the, 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 everyone just remembers about the video and, and, the lawsuit rather than the song itself i mean it wouldn't be anything like my favorite madonna single or anything but um it's fine on the album i like it's a fine part of the album but it wouldn't even be my favorite track on the album at all
2: die another day then where do you stand on that (laughs) obviously the band theme for the movie of the same name probably could fall into a category of flops as well if anyone's come on and talk about die another day someone did come on and talk about a band movie but because I don't know when I'm releasing this or in what order just yet. I'm not going to say what it is. Okay. Um, this is one, in my opinion, this is one of the best Bond songs. I, but it's
1: funny, because,
2: it. it's funny because though, again, depending on what you read or who you ask, some people are like, it's class, or you've the Bond like, enthusiasts who are like, it's not a Bond song. And that's mainly what was said at the time again, because the production is very in line with the rest of the album. It's very like techie, jarring, like mm-hmm. the kind of chopped up vocals. But I love it
1: like I think you ask Madonna to do a Bond song she's not going to give you something conventional so you have to know that like she's going to do it in line with whatever she wants to do and I think you know for a lot of people for a lot of normos like sad sacks they just want someone like Adele you know scream, like screaming her lungs out about being depressed over a man and that you know it's not really Madonna's style and as well she always will come from things at a totally different angle where it's like you know she's like I want to be James Bond I don't want to be the bond girl whereas usually the bond themes are all very phallic and sexualized and I think they probably thought Madonna would be like oh she'll vamp it up and you know give a veiled reference to a peen or something and she was just like no I'm going to talk about like the ego death the death of the self and I was like this is so funny to me that they must have been I would love to have seen their faces when they got the like this song when it dropped for them what they were like they were probably panicking just going there's nothing to this that we can promote as like they wanted her to be breathless Mahoney like they didn't want her to be Madonna and she was just like nah I'm into just like doing my fencing and rolling around on the ground and being like this action hero who like in the video she's being tortured like and that's just totally Madonna she's just like it kind of has that little bit of an S&M edge to it as well and like I just love that there's a whole stupid bit in it where she's like Sigmund Freud analyze this <laughs> and it's like yeah, analyze James Bond the biggest misogynist that ever walked the earth and being like an absolute smash hit for like decades so I think like I don't know I think they expect her to toe the line especially because they were like we're inviting you as a yank into a British tradition because you're married to a guy from the UK and she totally was like nah I'm going to subvert this shit and really pisses off <laughs> and I love that You said Hollywood probably wasn't your fave from the record. So
2: what is your fave? What do you think is the strongest song on this album? And then by the other hand,
1: where do you think she kind of falls the flattest? Um, I guess my favourite god of so many favourites on this album and I'm not even joking Like uh, Nobody Knows Me is probably one of my favourites just because it's about how she just doesn't want to be perceived at all and it's all like you know I don't waste my time reading magazines and like she just doesn't want the like the tabloid kind of intrusion on her life and that she just thinks she's been you know misrepresented and she can't like finds it very hard to speak for herself in a, in in that way and I, I just love all I just love the sound of it I just think it's unbelievable but another like I love ecstatic process is another absolute fave because I think like when I broke up I had a, like when I had a massive breakup um I listened to that constantly and that's just her and a, a guitar and it, the words are just so intense because um, it's it, it's a really personal album because even though she was married at the time to Guy Ritchie there were already cracks and that album, I mean that song in particular kind of addresses the beginning of that the end of that relationship already because it's kinda of like I lost myself in this relationship uh because I thought you were amazing and she kinda of was saying like you know what I was special I'm special too and it's like imagine being Madonna and thinking you're not good enough and he's guy Richie he's just going around pretending to be a cockney like it's so embarrassing. Um but they would be, like, probably my two favourites. And I also love Mother and Father just because it's so vulnerable. It's about, like, the death of her mom and how ups, how devastating that was for her. Um, I just think they're three of the best, definitely. Um, on the other side of things, Love Perfusion. I always skip it because it was on an ad. Uh, it was on a perfume ad and it always still reminds me of... I think it was on a weird Estee Lauder ad. And I was like, I imagine, oh, by. Uh, so I can always live without that I'm like that's the only one I think that is literally the only one I ever skip yeah when I listen to it that is the only one that's a good enough reason to skip something
2: for me to be honest Um, you mentioned there about how like personal and vulnerable she gets on this album how big of a factor do you think that was in the album flopping in inverted commas like I know there's a myriad of reasons and we'll get into them a little bit later on And before I let you go but Like, how do you think that played a part in it? Because it's, I suppose, again, when you compare it to the artists that we talked about previously, it wasn't really what we were being sold at the time. And as you said, like, they were just married. Like, were we used to seeing
1: that from her or no? No, I mean, I think a really like. people were like, oh, I'm delighted that she's talking about motherhood and like how happy she is to have a baby. And like everybody was really like, that's such a cool, you know, glimpse of, you know, being a mother and, and how meaningful that is. And they loved that kind of personal business from her but then with music like people she was like people were so high on new Madonna that with music I think they just love they love the singles um it kind of there was other themes on music like where you know what it feels like for a girl where it's just like an amazing kind of look at what it's like to to be a female artist and a woman moving through the world that is judged on your sexuality but also you know I deserve it like she got very mushy on music about Guy Ritchie um like there's a whole line in uh, like I deserve it, I think. And it's like, this guy was meant for me and I was meant for them. And I was like, okay, Yarg, Madonna, I know you're in love, but I'm going to get sick. Um, so they, they kind of liked, enjoyed her being personal in that way where she's being romantic and, you know, lovey-dovey. But then, and because it was Guy Ritchie, whatever. And But then with American Life, it, it was something more, it was something deeper. It was like an exorcism. It was like her therapy. It was like, you know, she says on mother, father, that she's like, I've got to give it up. I've got to find someone who loves me. I've got to let this go. And it was like, I have to let my past go. I, I can't, I have to move on and not be this person anymore. Like she's always been personal on her albums, like Erotica, you know, even like A Prayer, like that album that was really when she started to like really inject herself more and more, her personality and her, her life more and more into her music. But I think this was like a different side to her where it was extremely introspective. And I don't know if people want that from their pop stars because that, I I, like, I was going to pick Kylie's album uh, Impossible Princess for this as well because that was the same thing when Kylie started to kind of turn in on herself. And basically Kylie was having a breakdown, you know, during that album. People didn't want that. They were like, oh, where's Smiley Kylie? And that's the thing. And it's like, what do you expect from your female stars? Do you want them just to be, you know, souped up porno girls or do you want them to have a brain and be artists like and it's that dichotomy that women in pop will always be caught in because it's like you're a product at the end of the day you're a product whereas men are allowed to be absolutely anything they want to be
2: The album did commercially, like, okay, obviously, because it's still Madonna. It's still that time in music. She is still, like, the juggernaut that she still is today, to be honest. Um, But I suppose by Madonna standards, it didn't do commercially as well. And we've already talked about, like, critically, people didn't get it, everything else. Where did she go from this? Like, what was her next move? And was it, did she take on board? Like, how much did this album kind of not doing what the previous records had done. How
1: much did that impact her, if at all? I think she was licking her wounds for a long time because uh, we have to say, preface this (laughs) by, before this album, she had this god-awful film called Swept Away that she made with Guy Ritchie. And um, it was basically him uh, taking the piss out of her and her life and her work. And uh, it was horrible. It was like a really like t- trying to take her down a peg or two which, through this film. He directed it and he made her look really horrible. She was trying to take the piss kind of out of herself by be- playing this selfish kind of diva. And but, but, but in the context of the film, he's ripping her apart in it and, and he's being really nasty about her, like uh, through the context of the film. So between that and then this album doing really badly, she took time out Um she did the tour, she did the reinvention tour and that really boosted her appeal because forever, as long as Madonna has been successful, everybody's wanted her to do a Greatest Hits tour. They wanted her to do, you know, just jam out the hits, just do the Immaculate Collection every single night. And the reinvention tour was people's chance to see that but with the little bits of American Life injected into it. So basically she was giving the fans and the casual listeners what they wanted because American Life hadn't done maybe so well and and that was a massive mega tour and, you know, got amazing reviews everywhere and it's still one of the best shows I've ever seen in my entire life and then because on the tour she worked with Stuart Price um to re-kind of structure some of the songs um and like re like kind of mold the tour like mold these songs into the tour she kind of I think was like oh he's cool he gets me they had a good relationship and that's when they started planning the Confessions album and that's when she was like you know what I'm going to give those gays everything they want. (laughs) I'm going back to the dance floor, babes. I'm off to the dance floor. And, you know, truly created one of the uh, the most mind-blowing albums. Like when I hear Renaissance by Beyonce, I'm going, yes, this is it. This is her version of Confessions, you know. So, um, yeah, she just went back to the drawing board and said, well, what am I good at? I'm a pop star. I'm a dancer. I've always been a dancer. And what do I want to do? I want to dance it out. I want to dance all my problems out and be euphoric. Um, and that's, and I think she, there would be no, people need to remember that there would be no confessions without American life because American life was like her therapy it was like exercising those demons of the past and really trying to get to grips with who she is. Because I think Guy Ritchie made her feel bad about being uh, Madonna for so long. And she says when she broke up, after they divorced, she was like, I spent so much time where he made me feel really small. And I think she had to get little by little, get back to know. And they weren't, they weren't officially broken up by the time confessions came out or anything, but she had to kind of get back to who she was and be proud of who she is. Which is such a weird thing to say about Madonna because you think, oh my God, she's a massive ego. But a man like that managed to chip away at her.
2: Jenny, you've done a great job uh, at selling this album. But for anyone who is maybe still on the fence, what's your elevator pitch on why American life is not a flop and people should go investigate it immediately?
1: I think that it's profoundly uh, impactful and all the themes of the album we're still ruminating over today. It's about superficiality. It's about apathy. It's about nihilism. It's about political disillusionment. It's about, you know, America burning, America being the seat of crazy evil it's anti-patriotic it's but also it's very fragile it's very deep it's about you know losing yourself to somebody or losing a parent it's great about grief it has all these things wrapped up in this kind of mad wonky lo-fi dance disco feel to it it's such a you know real midnight like post-party come down album that I just adore You will
2: have to come back to talk about Impossible Princess, but until (laughs) then, uh, where can people find you, uh, listen to you, read you, et cetera, et cetera?
1: I am on Twitter saying like probably illegal things about Timothy Chalamet all the time um, <laughs> sorry sorry ma'am uh, at Jen Pops so it's N Pops and I'm on Instagram as the Jen Gannon um, where I just put up pictures of gorgeous men usually sorry I'm a thirsty bitch <laughs> you're done right um, so you're on you run a great pop night as well give a shout out for that Oh, yeah. So I run a night with my friend Lime Lyman Fancy and we do it everywhere, sometimes in the Bernard Shaw, sometimes in Wigwam. And it's just all 80s hits and 90s nineties dan- house and a tallow disco. And then I'm on the radio sometimes on Arena, on Richie Radio 1 and 2FM with Dave Fanning sometimes. So I'm everywhere. <laughs> Here, there and everywhere. Jen Gannon, it is been an
2: absolute pleasure to receive this Madonna education from you and I'm absolutely serious about coming back to talk about Impossible Princess because that's another album I know nothing about so thank
1: you so much Jen. thank you I will definitely be there big
2: thanks again to Jen for stopping by she will be back no doubt and also a hearty congratulations to Madonna herself on recently coming out via TikTok it's a very uh, 2022 sentence is it Uh, good for her Let this be the year that we reject capitalism and men. That's what I say. If anyone hasn't seen that video, I'll link it below. I I can't explain it. I hope that it someday makes its way into books about media literacy or something. But anyway, until then, let's see who is top of the flops this week. You're a flop. Flop, flop, flop. Top of the flops this week is Nicola Peltz Beckham for naming her dog with Brooklyn Beckham label roll the clip him.
0: fun fact about Brooklyn he loves labels like in your clothes and so last year for Christmas I had a suitcase full of them customized for him that's why our dog is named label
2: <sighs> yes Peltz Beckham was speaking to British Vogue sharing what's in her handbag as you do and in the handbag she had this label and she started telling the story which was ac- kind of sweet if she just hadn't Anyway, whatever. She started telling me a story about how Brooklyn is obsessed with labels, like from clothes. Uh, And for Christmas, she ended up getting him, as a Christmas present, all of these custom made labels that say like different sweet things on them, whatever. But he is so into labels that it led to them naming their dog Label. Label. The only animal with a name Label that I recognise is that little cute bitch from Animal Crossing who makes clothes okay everyone else does not exist to me you're unhinged unhinged that's like naming your dog sleeve do you know what I mean or buttons but, uh, no actually sorry buttons works buttons buttons does work collar fetch collar dogs wear collars anyway moronic moronic that couple I don't understand them quite frankly I don't want to understand them I never will some things are enigmas enigmas wrapped in riddles that couple is one of them and that is all i have to say on that is your dog name label don't message me if it is i don't want to know i, I don't want to know about your life choices that's all i'll say on that thank you so much for listening to another episode of flap culture we are on instagram and tiktok under flap culture underscore pod and you can get in touch at helloflopculture at gmail.com if you leave a five-star review and your name or nickname on apple podcasts i would recommend a bop or a flop to you so Get them in. You'll get a nice uh, specialist, specialist recommendation from myself. You can also leave a five-star review on Spotify if that's your listening platform of choice. Today's bop is for Disappointed34565. 5, 5. I hope you're not disappointed with this recommendation. I don't think you will be. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. 2008 American romantic comedy drama starring Michael Sarah and Kat Dennings written by Lorene Scafaria uh, people will know from Hustlers aka the greatest movie of all time and it's based on the novel of the same name by Rachel Cohn and David Levithan and it tells the story of teenagers Nick and Nora played by Michael Sarah and Kat Dennings respectively who meet when Nora asks Nick to pretend to be her boyfriend for five minutes over the course of the night they spend together they try to find their favorite band secret show and search for Nora's drunken best friend it's a very good haven't watched it in a few years so i'm going to watch it this weekend as a treat and thank you again disappointed 34565 for your five-star review podcast has been edited as always by the lovely adam shanahan and artwork is by brian lambert with that i will see you next week
0: toodaloo planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince